You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What is good, everybody? Welcome to the Off Day Debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I am Rob Stats Guerrero alongside Brandon Lee Gowden, and we are brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer. When you sign up, that's code SBNNFL only at DraftKings. And BLG, how are you, man? The sun is shining. It's a crisp fall day in New England. You know, one of those classic, really just grab your cup of coffee and enjoy the cold air kind of days. Birds are chirping. Everything is great right now. How are you doing? Well, I guess, listeners, if you missed Monday Night Football for some reason, I think you can kind of guess what happened uh, based on Stats' reaction here. Stats, I was thinking about this before the show, and I could be wrong because I didn't double-check it, but at the very least, it feels like this is the first show we've done since week one where both of the teams that we cover actually won football games. So uh, shout-out to the Eagles and the 49ers. If you are new to the show, this is what we usually do. We break down the Monday night football game and we give you the only 100% accurate power rankings in the entire NFL podcast kingdom. They are on bleedinggreennation.com. You should definitely go and check them out. And we always tell you, follow, rate, review the SB Nation NFL show. If you take the time to leave a review, we will read it on the show. So, BLG, in that vein, we have another review today. Please, if you would. Okay, stats. We have a review here from LOL Black Cat uh, titled Off Day Debrief. Five stars. Obviously, if you leave a rating and review, you can only leave five stars. Don't even try to add or leave a review with fewer than that. You can only do five. Uh, the review says stats. Finally figured out how to leave a review. Non-intuitive. Listen to everything you guys put out. Thanks. You make the talking heads on the networks seem like morons. So we're not the moron stats. It's everyone else. It's nice to get a review where someone talks about me and refers to someone else as a moron. That's a very welcome change. <laughs> so thank you, LOL Black Cat. Keep the five-star ratings and reviews coming. They really do help make a difference. They help people discover us, which is something that's really tough to do when it comes to podcasts. So we really do appreciate it. All right, enough stalling, BLG, because we have a Monday night football game to talk about. My San Francisco 49ers absolutely dominated the Los Angeles Rams, took them to the woodshed 31 to 10. Honestly, it wasn't even that close. And look, I'm not going to say that the 49ers are going to go on a run, although they can. I'm not going to say that they fixed all their problems, <laughs> although maybe they have. For one night, one game, one night, everything went right with the 49ers. 
it must feel pretty good stats. And to me, it all started with that first drive. Obviously, the Rams come out and they get the ball first. They try to force it to Odell Beckham Jr. I don't know mm-hmm. what was going on in that play. It seemed like Matthew Stafford expected OBJ to do something else, which is kind of a weird thing to do when they just have gotten <laughs> together. It's like, you know, how how can they really kind of just be like, oh, yeah, I know what he's going to do in this situation. Uh, so it was a really weird throw and play. But the 49ers take over and they have – a drive to remember and mm-hmm. that they went 93 yards in 18 plays. They did the smart thing and recognized that, hey, we have a limited quarterback. We're not going to have him throw the ball. We're just going to pound the rock. We're going to grind the Rams into dust. This is vintage smash mouth football stats. Uh, also getting the ball to Debo Samuel. Pretty important. He's pretty good. Uh, they, the, this is like... This is the fun, I think, of football sometimes stats. It's not about like trying to out scheme someone and trying to like surprise them and trick. Them. It's like just out executing them, going out there and imposing your will on the other team. And that's exactly what the 49ers did. I said this on a Twitter space that I did on Monday. Kyle Shanahan, you know, I think he thinks he's so good offensively that sometimes he lets the defense dictate to him what he does. Perfect example the Cardinals game last week. They said, why didn't you run the ball, Kyle Shanahan? He said, well, they came out with six defensive linemen, so we wanted to pass them out of it. And he's good at coming up with ways to do that. But the problem is he always lets the defense dictate to him what he's doing. The 49ers did not do that in this game. They absolutely came out after the game. Jimmy Garoppolo said that they took the Rams' soul away. The first two possessions, BLG, when you combine them, 31 plays, 184 yards, 14 points, and they held the ball for 18 minutes and 55 seconds. That is perfect for how the 49ers were going to win this game. It was absolutely the way they drew it up. And, I mean, it was a joy to watch. It was like, yes, this is the performance, right? All the people that are still hanging on to Kyle Shanahan as a good head coach, as an offensive play caller, this is the type of game they point to when they say, see, this is what we think we could be. The problem is they just have to do it against somebody that's not the Rams. Yeah, I don't think this is like your formula for victory week in and week out. I just don't think you can do this literally every single week. But there are games on the schedule that you have to do this. And, they, and credit to the 49ers, they did it at the right time. They're now 5-0 and against Kyle Shanahan. Or, sorry, against Sean McVay, rather. Uh, as you know, dating back to their last loss was in 2018 when Nick Mullins was still starting for the 49ers. So, uh, yeah, a, a good run here by the 49ers. Must feel fun to own the Rams. And then kind of just looking at it from the Rams perspective real quick stats, like I I called in my power rankings where I ranked the Rams, we'll get to that in a bit. I called the Rams front runners and I've been feeling that way about them. You know, they have all these big names, but it's like they're a team that if you punch them in the mouth, they get rattled. They get like, they can't handle it. They can't, they they don't have the composure. It's like if, if everything's not going perfect for them, then they don't know what to do all of a sudden. And I think that was clearly on display on Monday night. I said this to RJ on the look ahead last week. Are we sure the Rams are as good as they have looked? Look at their schedule, BOG. They have beaten the Bears, the Colts, the Buccaneers. They lost to the Cardinals. They beat the Seahawks when Russ got hurt. They beat the Giants, the Lions, and the Texans. And then they have lost to the Titans, and now they have lost to the 49ers. I'm not saying the Rams are a bad team at all. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying maybe they look a little better than they are given who they've played and how things have turned out. And I think you're right. And the 49ers said as much after the game. We know if we can be physical against this team, we can have success. And they absolutely did it. The Rams looked kind of shell-shocked, to be honest. 
I actually, it's funny. I was texting some people about this earlier in the week um, about like, I feel like the Rams are going to be that team this year that gets in the playoffs and this kind of game could happen to them. Like it's, it's, you know, t- Titans don't play uh, obviously in the AFC, but remember like when the Titans were doing that a couple years ago when they were just hitting you in the mouth with Derrick Henry and teams didn't know what to, they're like, Oh crap. Like it was, they didn't know how to respond to that. And I feel like the Rams are kind of could be that team that has that happen to them. And I think that's why this loss was concerning in that regard, obviously concerning too. And it hurts their standing to potentially get the number one seed. Um, yeah. So I think this is definitely a, a bad loss for the Rams. It was troubling. Um, now, again, they're front runners. I think when you've seen when they have had these lead stats uh, and you look at Sean McVay's like like record, whatever, when they go into halftime with leads like undefeated or whatever it is, like when things are rolling for them, they've got it and they're a hard team to beat. But if they can't get that ball rolling, then all of a sudden they are pretty vulnerable. And to touch on Matthew Stafford here really quick, some really bad throws last night. Uh, yes. Inaccurate and uh, it's really just like bad all around because there are some drops too. He had some good throws that were just dropped on crucial third downs. Sean McVay calling a fake field goal I thought oh. was really dumb. <laughs> you give two first-round picks to get Matthew Stafford, and then you're going to put the ball in the hands of your punter instead of the quarterback you traded for. So just, like, really not just one thing, one reason the Rams lost, but a lot of things. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of bad stuff that's troubling for the future. You're right about Stafford. He had multiple throws that could have been intercepted by the 49ers that they actually dropped. There was one where the 49ers safety, Taunoa Hufanga, literally knocks the ball out of Emmanuel Mosley's hands. That was going to be an interception. Fred Warner had one in his hands that he dropped. Like, it could have been much worse for Matthew Stafford. And you're right about that fake field. Taint- oh, yeah, that's true. Taint- I forgot about K1 Williams catching a ball with his ass, basically, on an interception on a bogus pass interference call that they never should have called, by the way. But... The, the fake field goal, to go back to that, it made no sense because the Rams were letting the clock tick down. They were so spooked by the 49ers offense that they got down in the red zone and then their biggest concern became, we just need to run this clock down because we don't want to give the ball back to the 49ers. They attempt the fake field goal with like 15 seconds left in the half. Even if they got it and converted the first down, like there wasn't going to be that much time left for them to score anyway. It was just a bizarre sequence in that situation. And I agree. You want your punter to throw the ball instead of Matt Stafford? Like, just weird, weird stuff. And I think that Shanahan's in McVay's head a little bit. Yeah, that's that's the thing about, like, even if that play works, even if the fake field goal works, like, to the extent of where you get the first down, because that's kind of what it had to be, right? Like, that's not, is that really, are they really thinking, like, touchdown or bust? I mean, you almost have to be based on, like, you know, how that outcome uh, would need to go for them. But, like, just realistically, that's, that's just not it. It's, it's you know, it's fourth and long. It's not even, like, a short distance to go. So, yeah, I thought that was really bad. Uh, just really bad game for the – and also, by the way, speaking of, like, composure and getting rattled and everything, I feel like Sean McVay looks rattled at times when things are going his way. Like, mm. You can see it on his face on the sideline where he looks like, like, I don't like how this is going. He looks annoyed, <laughs> which is, like, a human thing. And I'm not, like, trying to say, like, he shouldn't look like that. But, like – that you can see the weakness in the other head coach. I think just maybe, I don't know if that gives players confidence. As a fan, I would look at that and be like, I feel good. When Sean McVay is starting to look bad, it's like, all right, I know he knows there's issues here, and he's kind of lost his composure. I feel like, too, like, go look at it for the 49ers. I feel like if things are starting to go bad, they can get the ball to Debo Samuel or George Kittle, who can, like, break a couple tackles, just beast the guy and get a first down. For the Rams, like, who's that guy on offense that's going to just, like, take control of the game with the ball in his hands and go make a play. I, I don't know. I, it just, it had a different Robert feel. Woods. 
but he's not there. Maybe. And and I thought the broadcast actually did a good job last night of pointing out how the Rams like to go a tempo a lot of the time, but they couldn't do that with Odell Beckham Jr. on the field because he literally doesn't know the plays. And that's so you saw at the end of the game, later in the game, when the Rams were trying to catch up, Odell's on the sideline because they just could not do it with him in the game. And I think maybe that kind of took them out of their sort of wheelhouse early on. They had to kind of keep it slow. And I think that played into the 49ers hands. Never been an OBJ guy, obviously biased because he was a New York Giant earlier in his career. But like, I just never bought him. You know, I've used the term before, uh, big loser energy, BLE. And I've always <laughs> just kind of felt that way about OBJ. Not to say he's fully to blame for the Rams loss or anything, but like, I, I'm just, I think all the discussion last week and all this hype about where he's going, it's so overrated. Like, he's not as good anymore, first of all. And also, like, I just don't know that this is a player that, like, contributes to winning at the highest level. I have I have real questions about that. Maybe, sorry if it sounds takey or whatever, but that's the case. <laughs> and I do think losing Robert Woods is a really big deal. Uh, I think that he is that kind of go-to guy. Obviously, you still have Cooper Cup, um, but I think that's a huge loss for them. Um, flipping it back to the Niners, though, stats, I did want to say, like, Debo Samuel, man, that guy is so good. Like, really freaking good. Really underutilized. How about the 49ers? I mean, I haven't seen as much 49ers football as you, obviously, stats. Running him out of the backfield. And on those plays, or in total, at least as a runner, he had five carries for 36 yards and a touchdown. He had the 7.2 average. That's great. And obviously, he had five receptions for 97 yards as a receiver as well. Like, he is awesome. You jumped the gun on one of my MVP points for the week, but... Yeah, it's Debo Sam. I'll just give it out now since we're we're talking about him. Like, he is one of the best all-around players in the entire league. Name another wide receiver that can do that kind of thing. He's incredible. And, you know, before this year, it was a lot of like, well, Kyle Shanahan will give him the ball in the backfield and he'll gain a bunch of yards after catch. This year, that's not what they're doing with him. He's getting the ball down the field beyond the line of scrimmage. He's really kind of progressed in that way. He just is the best player on offense for the 49ers. He is better than George Kittle. That's where they are right now with Debo Samuel. He is killing it this year whenever they needed to play in this game and really all year long. Debo, Debo, Debo. And so far it's working out. God, just keep that dude healthy because he is a beast. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into the only 100% accurate power rankings in the entire NFL podcast kingdom. And I just gave one out there, but we'll get into our MVP and LVP points of the week. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent... 
You want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back to the Oddcast here. All right, BLG, you have been in the lab. You have been tinkering. You have been formulating and postulating. And now you have emerged with the Week 11 Power Rankings, the only 100% accurate power rankings in the entire NFL podcast kingdom. I will run through 1 to 10. If you want to check out the full rankings, please go to BleedingGreenNation.com. They are there for you. There's a ton of good stats and information in there. Number one, Tennessee Titans. Number two, the Packers of Green Bay. Bills at three. Cardinals at four. Cowboys round out the top five. That's got to be painful for you. Rams drop to number six. Tampa Bay Buccaneers at seven. Chiefs eight. Ravens nine. And Patriots ten. What was the biggest move in the top ten for you this week? Uh, I think I had to move the Cowboys back up into the top five. Uh, As you said, stats very painful, but... As I said on the <laughs> NFC's mixtape a couple weeks ago, I really think the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl this year, which really pains me, and I hate to say, but uh, I think it's clear that, you know, the game against the Broncos was more about the Broncos having their best game of the season, and the Cowboys just having their worst game of the season at one time, and obviously Dak coming back, too, from a week off or whatever. Um, so that was a big move up for me, moving them down from where they were eight last week back up to in the top five. So this kind of speaks to what we just saw with the Rams, right? Like this season is weird. There for the second straight week, there were four teams that went into Sunday that had a 500 or worse record that beat a team in first place. Like bad teams have beaten good teams this year. What the Cowboys did is they made sure that their loss against the Broncos was just a speed bump, right? They come out against the Falcons and they crush them 43 to 3. That's kind of what the Rams are going to have to do when they come off their bye is just make sure that this loss against the 49ers was just a bad night, a bad game, and an otherwise good season. And they've done that in the past even when they've lost to the 49ers. But the Cowboys, man, just came out and just looked exactly like we thought the team that they were. Dak was great. The running game is still great. Diggs got another interception. Like, that's how the Cowboys drew it up. And it was nice to see from their perspective that they didn't let the loss snowball. Definitely not nice to see from my perspective. Maybe for them. Maybe for <laughs> RJ's perspective. Uh, the Falcons stink, though. I mean, they have the fourth worst point differential in the league. I mean, the Lions, Jets, and Texans are worse than them. They're just a really bad team. There's some teams in the NFL this year, stats, Broncos among them, that, like, 
have multiple wins. Like Falcons have four, Broncos have what five or whatever. It's like, how did this team win games? Like they're not any, they stink. <laughs> they're terrible. They're not any good. They're just as bad as some of like the very worst teams in the leagues. Although obviously they've beaten some of those teams. So, okay, maybe they're a little bit better than that, but not by much. Uh, so, so yeah, that's part of it here. I mean, I could also say, you know, the Bills, I moved them back from six to three because they obviously had a statement win back on the right track, blew out the Jets. But like, you know, uh, it's good to see for those teams in that like, okay, they are on track. Sometimes weird losses happen. It's about kind of how you respond to it and what you do the next week. So uh, there are some kind of teams in here in the top 10 that we'll talk about, I guess, uh, that it's kind of like, okay, what do they do next? Because you look at the Cardinals, I dropped them to four. And then you look at the Ravens, you know, I dropped them down to nine. Like those teams had Mm -hmm. really bad losses this week. But if they go out next week and they kind of prove that it's just one bad week, well, then it's kind of not the end of the world. So you just mentioned it. The Ravens lost to the Dolphins. The Bucks lost to Washington. Hmm. Carolina whooped up on Arizona, but at least Arizona can say, hey, we had a bunch of backups in the game. Who do you think had the worst loss of the week? I think it has to be the Bucks stats. Uh, it's between the Bucks and the and the the Ravens for me. I, I would say the Bucks just because that Washington defense has been so bad. Like, why, how does this make any sense? Like, how does it make any sense that the Bucks, with what they have on offense, would not be able to do a ton, and Tom Brady would have like his second worst game of the season against this Washington defense that also lost one of their best players in Chase Young during the game. Right. Like, how does this make any sense? Um, and, you know, uh, I guess Tom Brady has had his issues before, as kind of touched on on Monday Football Monday, with, like, these quarterbacks who aren't, like, amazing in Eli Manning and Nick Foles. And now, apparently, <laughs> Taylor Heineke somehow, for some reason, has his number. Um but that's really bad. And especially, too, just because, again, we talk about, like, the value of the number one seed. I mean, the Bucks might lose out on that because of this. Does anybody want the number one seed in the NFC? It's weird, but I feel like nobody wants it. The Cardinals, we think that they're going to get the number one seed. They lose to the Packers. Then guys get injured. They're dropping games. The Bucks, like you just mentioned, the Cowboys dropped the game to Denver. Like At this point right now, I guess you could say you have faith in the Packers to have the number one seed, but like it just seems like the NFC just continues to fall back into each other, into just like everyone in the NFC, I feel like is going to end up like nine and eight on the year. It just seems like that sometimes. I have a question for you, Stats, and I've been thinking about this. And this is kind of what we're supposed to do in theory, too, here on the off-day debrief is talk about like the league as a whole. Uh, like, is mm-hmm. this the most wide open the NFL has been in some time? It feels like, and I saw your your guy Florio said this last night, he tweeted this out, like, it feels like something to the effect of, it feels like the team who wins the Super Bowl isn't necessarily going to be like, you know, like the best team in the NFL, like over the course of the season, it's kind of just about more so than ever, just like who gets lucky with injuries and the, you know, like the right bounces of the ball and everything. It doesn't feel like, you know, there's this one juggernaut team and same thing for the MVP race too. Like you can say the same thing. There isn't like one dominant player in the league this year. Like one guy you can just point to and be like, Oh, that's the best player in the NFL easily indisputable. No question about it. There isn't that ca- that's like, it's not the case with a single player or a single team in the league this year. Yeah, I mean, the teams we thought were going to be dominant, right? Like the Chiefs. Well, all of a sudden, we were like questioning the Chiefs. Now, last week, they got right against the Raiders. And so now maybe we think they're back on track, but they haven't been a dominant team. The Bills, we thought were going to be dominant. And then they go out and lose to the Jaguars, even in the NFC. Like, I guess the Cowboys, the Cowboys people thought were going to be good and they're pretty good. 
and the same with the Packers. But, like, did the Packers blow you away last week against the Seahawks? Like, no. Rodgers was chucking interceptions in the end zone. He just – Russell Wilson threw two interceptions in the end zone. So you're right. Like, in terms of everything, playoff races, number one seed, MVP, I have no idea what's going to happen. We don't know a thing about the NFL. I like what you just said there. You're right about everything. Um, I don't think that's what you meant. I think you're <laughs> you're doing a different kind of phrasing, but I'm just going to clip that and uh, make that a drop and then just insert it to the podcast here, even though I don't have any of those uh, technical <laughs> editing abilities. Uh, yeah, but I think it's interesting. I think, honestly, like to me, I know people think about this differently because I, I feel like a lot of fans of the NBA, for example, stats talk about how they like, the, and I think maybe even you have talked about this before, correct me if I'm wrong, where... People like like the dominant team. They like like greatness. They want to see a team, you know, dominate and then win it all. To me, that's boring. Like, okay, I know what's going to happen if the the good team wins. Like to me, I like the NFL in part because there is so much parody and there's so much chaos and drama and wild things can happen. And you go into a week and it's not as simple as all the good teams beat the bad teams and then you move on. There's more chaos than that. And it's fun to talk about. It's it's boring to me when everything is cut and dry. So I think it's fun this way. Dominant teams create heroes and villains, right? Like there, it's cool when like everything's up in the air and then you end up with a Super Bowl of like two teams you didn't expect, and that's fine. But to me, the enjoyable years are like like the Eagles and the Patriots, right? Like that is such a clear like Philly's never won a Super Bowl before, and here come the Patriots with Brady and Belichick trying to get yet another championship. Like you had the clear evil. Empire Patriots against the underdog, literally with the underdog masks, the Philadelphia mm-hmm. Eagles. That to me, like those are the memorable Super Bowls and years when you've got clear heroes and villains, the Giants against the Patriots in the undefeated season. Like parody is great and it's good to sprinkle in once in a while, but I kind of like when there's the dominant teams. I'm not going to lie. I, I think it's, it's a fair point. It's a fair counter uh, stats, but I think uh, an interesting thing to think about is like, why is this happening? Why does it seem like there's so much more parity than usual? And another question I have for you, like, is the NFL in transition? Like, is this a, like we're kind of going through a phase where we don't have these dominant teams yet and we're kind of figuring that out. And maybe in years to come, we're going to have that new, you know, New England Patriots. I mean, we thought the Chiefs were kind of going to be that. And maybe they still are because they could go on, you know, our strong run in the second half. Really big week for them, obviously, as RJ and Pete talked about on Monday Football Monday. Uh, we, w- we will see if the Chiefs are really back or not as they play the Cowboys this week. So, um, so yeah, I mean, there, there's some of those teams, and obviously some teams are trending that way more than others. But uh, I guess I wonder maybe is like, is this just a year, a weird year? Um, I, I don't know. I just kind of, I guess I wonder what it means, what all this parody means in, in the bigger picture. I can't say, like, you're kind of putting me on the spot, but I'm just trying to think quickly here. And if you look at the league's best quarterbacks, they're all kind of young, right? I mean, Kyler Murray, young. Lamar Jackson, young. Patrick Mahomes is still young. Dak is still young. They're all young. Josh Allen. And I think that when you have that, they can have a game. Like, look at Justin Herbert. You and I loved Justin Herbert coming into the year. He was our pick for MVP. And he's come out lately, and even though he's been good, he's thrown for less than 200 yards in two straight games. Their offense is sputtering. You have them at 11 in your power rankings right now. So you potentially can have these kind of inconsistencies with these younger quarterbacks who, even though most of the time they're really good, they're still in their 20s, and they're going to have games where things are just off. I think that's a fair way to put it, too. I think that could be it. You know, we're not, you know, like 
give it a couple of years and these guys are the new, you know, Brady and Roethlisberger and Rivers and and what have you. And maybe you do start to see more of that come together. Um, yeah, I just think it's an interesting thing to think about. Let's talk about the Patriots for a little bit. A lot of people jumping on the Patriots bandwagon this week. A lot of people. They're 6-4 and four now. They're the sixth seed in the AFC as we record this this morning. I think Mac Jones is getting a little too much love, frankly. Mm. I don't think he's been bad by any stretch of the imagination. I think he has been exactly what we thought he was going to be, right? Very good processor, can make the reads, can get the ball to the open guy, doesn't move around a lot, but, you know, doesn't necessarily need to. I think he's been exactly what we thought, and it turns out, hey, like, Bill Belichick still knows how to coach a little bit. I think that Mac Jones might not be getting enough credit. I'll go the other way in that. I mean, everyone wants to talk about Justin Fields every week, and like Mac Jones is outplaying him thoroughly. And I go back to what I said in the preseason stats when we did it was it was after the first preseason game. We did our rookie quarterback rankings, and I had a little a bit of an advantage from having seen Mac Jones in training camp and not just the one preseason game. But I was really impressed with him. And you know, sometimes preseason is meaningless because Zach Wilson looked pretty good in the preseason, and then I. It didn't carry over to the regular season. <laughs> but sometimes you see things that do carry over and are true. And I think with Mac Jones, uh, like he's playing at a high level, man. Pro football focus stats has Mac Jones as the highest graded quarterback in the NFL since week five. Week five. Like that's a pretty decent sample size now. And, you know, take pre F grades for what the what the worth, but the Patriots are winning. And I don't think it's all Mac Jones, to be clear. It's not like he's carrying that offense by himself. He's getting good support from that run game. You know, their defense isn't like pathetic. Um so and obviously, you know, the coaching, he has a good support system in place, make no mistake about it. But I think he's playing at a pretty high level when a lot of other rookie quarterbacks in the NFL are not having that instant success. And I think you have to give him a lot of credit. See, I think that's why he's getting so much credit, because the other rookie quarterbacks have not played well. He's played okay. He's been fine. And I think that that's boosting him up a little bit. People are like, oh, see, look how good Mac Jones and the Patriots are winning. Like, we still have not progressed beyond the point in terms of mainstream analysis where, like, we can't separate winning quarterbacks from quarterbacks that are playing really well. Like, look at the 49ers last night. Hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo was okay, but people are saying, like, oh, look how good he is now. It's like, <laughs> no, the team played well around him, and he didn't screw it up. And I feel like that's what Mac Jones is doing. To his credit, like, that's exactly what you want from your quarterback in his rookie season, right? Anything the Patriots get out of this year is gravy because it's about developing Mac Jones and and making him as good as he can be. And right now, they're winning games. He has seven interceptions on the season, but three of those came in one game. So he has largely protected the football. And when you do that and you're the New England Patriots, like you're going to win games because Belichick knows how to game plan. I think Matt got slept on as a prospect. I really think he did. Everyone acted like it was like this like inconceivable joke that the 49ers could possibly take him <laughs> at number three. Like it would be like literally the dumbest move in NFL history. And I think it's safe to say it would not have been now would it have been the best decision. You know, that's that can that's still up for debate, whatever the jury's out on that. But like it was not like like is this zero percent this to happen. Um, Mac Jones uh, had a really good year last year at Alabama I think it was slept on mm-hmm. uh, I was looking back at I, back when you know the Eagles potentially were in the mix for a quarterback in the draft I was looking at the quarterback prospects and I was surprised at some of the stuff I came up on Mac Jones I think he's better than people realize like he had higher grades again going back to PFF here than like Joe Burrow did coming out 
And obviously Joe Burrow, you know, there's, again, there's different circumstances here, but like he, he's not this joke of a prospect is the point that I think some people like made him out to be. Like he's a pretty good prospect and he's doing well in New England and we'll see if he can keep it up. And I don't think it's impossible that the Patriots could steal the NFC or sorry, the AFC East away from the Bills. I don't think that's out of the cards. The draft process, especially if you are a quarterback, is all about what you can't do. You can't run a good 40. Your arm strength might be suspect. Your accuracy might be a little little off. But once you get drafted into the league, it's all about maximizing what you can do. And the Patriots, that's what they are all about, is putting people in position to succeed, maximizing strengths, minimizing weaknesses. That's what the Patriots are doing. Mac Jones is absolutely doing his job. He deserves credit. I just don't think he's like... Look at it this way. In the AFC, like where are you putting Mac Jones in terms of quarterbacks? Like he's halfway down the list, right? Um, Which is fine. I don't mean that to knock him. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to look and and parse through it. But um, I mean, I, I think what he does well is really important, though. And I think it's undervalued. Like having the ability to put the football exactly where it needs to go, like being an accurate passer, that's a big deal. I think like we all get caught up understandably sometimes in like athleticism and everything and making plays outside of the pocket and having, you know, a playmaker and having that ability is important at times because there are times when the offense is going to break down and you need someone to make a play. And obviously you're not really going to count on a player like Mac Jones to do that, but he keeps the offense in rhythm so much that he doesn't always need to do that. So, uh, and again, he's a rookie. He could get better. I think his, you know, his floor, he's starting out at a higher point than some of these other rookies because he's older and everything. So I don't know how high his ceiling is going to go. I think other quarterbacks might have a high ceilings, higher ceilings than him still. But again, if you're going to say like all these other guys are younger and getting better, I mean, same could be true for him. That's what it's going to come down to is what is his ceiling and where does he go from here? Uh, Let's get into some of our MVP and LVP points. I gave out an MVP point earlier in the show to Debo Samuel. Absolute monster. You know, he's not going to win MVP, obviously, and he's probably not going to win Offensive Player of the Year, but maybe if he keeps this up, but just an incredible performance. Who's your first MVP or your only MVP? My first and only MVP stats is someone we talked about, and it's Mac Jones. I have to give it to Mac Jones, who, again, highest graded quarterback since week five and the Patriots have the second longest winning streak in the NFL now just behind the Titans uh so yeah I have to give it to him I think he deserves it if I'm going to give out my second MVP of the day Mm -hmm. I have to give it to Taylor Heineke for Washington man like you're up four on Tom Brady and you mount a 19 play 80 yard drive that takes up 10 minutes and 26 seconds That is like an NFL coach's dream, right? Like we always talk about, you always hear teams and players talk about, well, we got to control the ball, move the chains and keep the other team off the field. Like this is it. That is a textbook example of it. They go all the way down the field. Tom Brady can do nothing but watch and they finish it off with a touchdown. Like that is masterful by Taylor Heineke. He's my MVP for this week. I think you can make a case that that is the best drive of the NFL season. Like, is it the most important mm. drive? Obviously, I don't know. Because, you know, probably Washington, I don't think they're going to the playoffs or anything. But, like, just in terms of, like, it's the best drive, I think it's it was such a crucial drive that helped them win the game. Uh, quick question for you, Stats. Um, did Mike McCarthy uh, beat the reigning Super Bowl champs? No. Did Ron Rivera beat the reigning Super Bowl champs? He did. Okay, just wanted to check with you on that because I, I know RJ uh, <laughs> will appreciate that. Um, anyway, but seriously, getting to Ron Rivera – and him being 
ballsy and going for it on fourth down. I was so happy they went for that. There, there's times in a game where I'm looking at the score and I'm like, the coach better do this thing because it's like the smart, aggressive thing to do. The Washington football team is up four points late in the game, fourth and goal from the one. They could kick a field goal there and Tampa Bay didn't have any timeouts left and they, they'll probably get the ball back with, I don't know, 30 seconds or whatever, 40. And like, but like, you know how that's going to go. You know Tom Brady's going to find a way somehow to get down the field and score a touchdown and then get the game to overtime and then probably win the game in overtime. Well, Ron Rivera didn't let that happen. He went for it, got the touchdown, you iced the game. Even if they don't get it there, I mean, you know, you turn the ball over, but then they have to go down the whole field and and get a touchdown. A field goal won't be good enough because, again, Washington's up by four. So I thought that was really good coaching. Uh, Heineke, I think, obviously deserves a lot of credit, made some good throws. He's not a starter in the NFL. I just I'm not buying that, you know, as a long term kind of guy. But he's a really fun and good backup to have, like probably, again, one of the number two quarterbacks you could have in this league. And you know what? He played well against Brady in the playoffs last year, too. I don't know. Something about it, like, brings out the best in him. Credit to him. Okay. You have two LVP points on the flip side of this discussion. Who is your first LVP this week? All righty. So, always fun to have these. I'm going to give the LVP to Tom Brady because he didn't play well. And I'm probably not going to get to do this too often. And this was a really big (laughs) game. It was a really big game. Stats I said this might have been like the worst loss from the top 10. Again, to get that number one seed is really big. I mean, of course, none of this will matter because Tom Brady will find a way to somehow win the Super Bowl anyway, like he always does. But in this game, I think this is a really bad loss to me against that bad Washington defense. There was no good reason why the Tampa Bay offense sort of struggled as much as it did. And Tom Brady will probably bounce back and be fine. But in this moment, losing to Washington, it's just it's a joke. He got outplayed by Taylor Heineke. And that is LVP worthy to me. When you throw two picks in your first six passes, you're probably going to wind up with an LVP. And like these are the games that are not supposed to happen with Tom Brady, right? Like you're supposed to be able to handle your business against teams like this. And they absolutely did not. And Tom Brady was a big part of why they did not. And, you know, I think sometimes we think of the Bucs as like this really good unstoppable monster because they won the Super Bowl. But that's not who they were. Even last year going through the playoffs, like they almost lost to this Washington team in the playoffs last season. And that's not to say that they're not good or anything like that. But these types of games can absolutely happen with them. And we'll see how they bounce back. Right now they're at seven in your power rankings, down from five. And, you know, again, we talked about like speed bumps and potholes. And let's see if this is a speed bump for the Bucks, or let's see what happens. But they lost on both sides of the bye, too. To come out after mm. your bye week and lose to Washington, that's a bad look. And Bruce Arians was killing his team in the press conference after the game, too. That's even worse. I I forgot about the Saints <laughs> loss. You lose to so you lose to Taylor Heineke and Trevor Simeon in back-to-back games. Like, what are we doing here? That's a really, really good point. All right. My only LVP of the day and this one was easy for me. Uh-oh. As soon as I saw what happened on the field, I think you know where I'm going with this. I'm giving this one to Teddy Bridgewater. <laughs> like, what are you what what are you doing, Teddy? The Eagles pick up the fumble. Darius Slay has the ball. And Teddy Bridgewater could not have done less to stop Darius Slay from scoring a touchdown. Like, that's the game in the balance right there. If you're if you're Denver, you you cannot let Slay score. Maybe if you tackle him, who knows? Maybe the Eagles turn it over on offense. You never know what can happen. And Bridgewater gets all the way down. He gets in position 
to be in a spot to slow slay down. And then he does nothing, BLG. He doesn't stick out an arm. He doesn't stick out a leg to trip him. He, in fact, he does nothing. He obstructs. He makes it harder for Denver to make the tackle because he gets in position and then just stands there. And I know that he came out, you know, the day after and said, oh, I was terrible by me. Yeah. What's he going to say? That's the only thing he could say. Everybody in the world saw that he did nothing. That was absolutely pathetic. And everybody was throwing bouquets at him because he took responsibility for it. Like, yes, he should take responsibility for it. If that was a different quarterback that the media liked less because everybody likes Teddy Bridgewater because he's a nice guy, they would have got killed. Imagine if Jay Cutler did that, mm. like, be or Cam Newton, right? <laughs> oh, it would be yeah. like the end of the world. Teddy does it. And we like him. And he says he's sorry. So everybody lets him off the hook. That was hideous by Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, speaking after the game, Darius Slay had said that uh, he actually talked to Teddy. And because Teddy, he said Teddy is his guy. They used to play in the NFC North together back when Teddy's on the Vikings mm-hmm. and Slay on the Lions. Um, and Teddy was like, Slay, you knew I wasn't going to tackle you. So he admitted <laughs> that like he couldn't do it uh, to Darius Slay. And so, you know, there's been a lot of takes about this, like, oh, quarterback should never tackle. And then, oh, like, what is he doing? So there, there, and here's where I'm going to come down on it. I think it totally is relevant how good or bad the quarterback is. Like, if you're Tom Brady, you don't need to be doing this. Like, because you're, you're Tom Brady and you're so crucial to that team's success. If you're Teddy Bridgewater, you're not guaranteed, like, this Broncos starting job beyond this year. Like, endear yourself to this team and this fan base and do literally everything you can to help your team win. Also, I want to clarify here or add the context. This is a huge moment in the game. This isn't like the Eagles are up like 30 points and Teddy throws a pick and he's not making a tackle. That wouldn't have made a difference in the game anyway. Like, this was a huge situation in the game. It changed the complexion of the game. It was Jalen Hurts had just thrown a pick, really bad pick. And uh, like one of his only bad passes of the day. Broncos get the ball. They're driving. I think they're down 20 to 10. It's fourth and one. They actually get it. Like they get over the line. It looks like we got it. Obviously, Javante Williams fumbled. Um, and like if they get that conversion there, that's a game. That's, that changes the complexion of the game. Maybe they get a field goal, whatever. But whatever. The fumble happens. They don't get it. Teddy Bridgewater gets a stop there instead of allowing the Eagles to go up 14 points. <laughs> or wait, there's 20 or 17. What is it? Math's hard. 14 points, right? Yeah. So like that that's a, that changes the game entirely because honestly stats Jalen Hurts didn't even throw a pass after that interception. The Eagles were able to run wow. the ball and just kind of grind it out on defense the rest of the game. Like that is a huge 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 play. Um I don't think it's only Teddy's fault they lost. I think Vic Fangio is not getting enough heat for his cowardice in this game. He kicked uh. field goals from the 3 yard line and the 4 yard line when they were trailing like <laughs> like, so I think you have to give some heat to him. I was very tempted to give Fangio uh, an LVP point, but I think it's fair to give it to Teddy. Again, you're not like this like great quarterback who was above that. Like, go out, try to make – like, he just dipped his head, basically. He did more than nothing. He kind of, like, dipped his head. Like, he obstructed. <laughs> it was terrible. Like, he was helping the Eagles at that point. And, again, the choice is not do nothing and completely sacrifice your body so that you're injured for the rest of the year. Just slow him down. Yeah. At least try to do something. And by the way, you're right about the Broncos' cowardice. They were at the Eagles' 10-yard line or closer four different times in this game, and they walked away with just six points on those possessions. Really quick, is that a credit to the Eagles' defense or just cowardice by Vic Fangio? I, I, th- I think the Eagles deserve – it's, you know, more than one thing can be true. The Eagles deserve some credit here, but the Broncos helped them. Like, the Broncos made life even easier on them by just being really cowardly and dumb. All right, who's your second LVP point on the day? All right, so this is the one that I think 
might be a little controversial stats, uh, but it shouldn't be. And let me add the context here to say that I don't hate Lamar Jackson. I really don't. I, oh, we get portrayed boy. as the anti-Lamar Jackson people on the show, uh, not on the show, this network. And RJ always says it. And obviously, I think he's saying it a little bit tongue in cheek. But like, if you're going to keep telling me that I'm the anti-Lamar person, and you're going to keep being like, well, like shoving it in my face when he plays well, then I'm going to shove it back in your face when he doesn't play well. And I think it is downright pathetic that the freaking Ravens only scored 10 points on this Dolphins defense, which is allowing 27 points per game. One of the worst defenses in the league. It's 10 points on Thursday night football. I know it's in Miami, but like, and I know teams have had bad losses. Obviously, we talked about that earlier in the show. And maybe the Ravens will bounce back. 10 points stats. And look. It's not just about one bad game for the Ravens. Let's look back at their last four. Okay, they blow out the Chargers. That's a really good win. Can't take anything away from them. They get blown out, though, then by the Bengals at home, right? Really bad loss. Then they're trailing for most of the game against the Vikings, and they come back and win that. But, like, you know, that wasn't like a game they were in control of. They were fortunate to win that game. And then they lose to the Dolphins. Like, that's a really, like, I don't want to hear, like, this is the clear-cut front runner for MVP. How could you possibly consider anyone else? I'm like, that's this team's last four games. I know Lamar is a big reason why the Ravens are even like having success and being in a position to win these games. I'm not saying he stinks, but like, I just don't want to hear that. Like he is head and shoulders above everyone else right now. And to go out and to lose a game to that Dolphins team, which was starting Jacoby Brissett, a quarterback, and then had to bring Tua in, who wasn't even 100%. Like, that is pathetic to me. That's a pathetic showing. And am I especially upset about it because it hurt the Eagles' draft positioning because they owned the Miami's <laughs> first round pick? Of course I am, because that's it's just such a garbage result. Uh, so I have to give it to Lamar. The concerning thing, if you're a Ravens fan, I think, is that from the film breakdown I saw, and again, I'm not a film breakdown guy. I like watching them, but I can't tell you, you know... I. I'm leave it to smarter people than me to break this down. But from what I have seen, the Dolphins basically kind of played like a cover zero defense and the, in the same all game long, basically. And the Ravens couldn't figure it out. They couldn't adjust. And I'm not just putting that on Lamar. I'm putting that on Greg Roman. I'm putting that on John Harbaugh, everybody there. But the fact that Miami essentially came out in one type of defense and it continued to confuse them throughout the entire game, like that's that's concerning. Like you have to be able to adjust in game to what the other team is doing to you, and the Ravens couldn't, and that's how you end up with a loss against the Miami Dolphins. And yeah, Jacoby Brissett and broken finger to a tongue of Iloa. And what has like the big point of criticism been here about Lamar Jackson? It's not that like he's a, we've never said he's a bad player. We've never said like this BS about oh the NFL is figuring him out. Like that was never what we've said at all. What we've said is that when you're getting this praise and you're getting this big contract eventually as this elite type quarterback, you have to produce in the playoffs. Like that is it's mandatory. And I'm not even saying like he needs to win the Super Bowl every year. That's not a realistic expectation. None of us are saying that. How about get to an AFC championship game though? Like he hasn't even <laughs> done that. And is this going to be the year where he does it? Maybe, but like, Hey, you know, what would help to get there is to get the one seed and know what you're probably not going to be able to get now because you blew a game to the freaking Dolphins. You're probably not going to be able to get the one seed unless the Titans slip, you know, and they go on a run. Although I will say, I should add in here, Titans have a favorable schedule. So you can't just bank on that. So I think this is a huge missed opportunity by Lamar specifically to help himself kind of reverse all the narratives in the playoffs. I think he, I think he blew it here. And before we go, we always like to do some oddities on this show. There were two things that I saw, and they both involve ob involve objects on the field. First, 
in the Raiders and the Chiefs game, there was a fork on the field. Like, it looked like a fork. I couldn't tell for sure. I sent you the link. Mm -hmm. Will Brinson tweeted it out. (laughs) It looked like a fork. Literally, one of the defensive linemen for the Raiders just picks up this object, and I'm like, what? Like, what possible explanation could there be for this thing being on the field? So I saw that it was said it was scissors, you know, like trainers, scissors, whatever it is. Uh, scary, kind of that that's out there. Like, that's not good. Yeah. That's dangerous. I mean, these guys are, you know, flying around. People are diving on the field. I uh, don't want anyone getting, like, seriously hurt like that. Uh, it really would be strange if it was a fork. Like, how does that get there? Like, how is that even, like, <laughs> right. h- like how? What what situation is this happening? Really funny, too, uh, to just watch that clip where, like, the Chiefs offensive lineman, like, hey, he, that, he, he he's offside. But it's like, like, what are you supposed to, like, 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 there's a fork. What am I supposed to do? Like, just let it there? Like, he has to do something. So that, that was really funny to see. Right. And like, like you said, how did it get there? Like, is somebody on the sideline somewhere secretly eating like, you know, like a TV dinner on the sideline with the fork? Like what? And then they run out with it on the field. Like, I need to know the story of this fork. Very, very weird situation. And then the other thing was Pete Carroll desperately trying to call for a replay review and he can't find the flag. And he just reaches into his pocket and decides, I'm just going to throw whatever I happen to grab out onto the field. And he pulls out this thing and nobody knew what it was. Was it a flip phone? Was it a computer mouse? Turns out it's an electric hand warmer. But first of all, like, is that allowed? Don't you have to throw the actual challenge flag to get a replay review? And, and now you can just chuck whatever you got in there out there? Do we know where his challenge flag was? Because I feel like some coaches keep it in different places. I feel like this could be a whole like series or article. I feel like some, you know, maybe have it in their back pocket. I feel like I remember seeing, I don't know if it was Pete Carroll or someone like used to keep it in their shoe. They like reach down in there or by their ankle, and they'd pull it out. Um, yeah, really interesting. I think, was it Belichick that keeps it in his shoe? Like, Someone, this yeah. shouldn't be hard. Keep the flag in the same place every single week, and then you always know where it is. I have half expect Nick Sirianni to pin it to this visor with one of those <laughs> Sharpies that he has. But, like, it shouldn't be this hard to find your to find your challenge flag, especially for Pete Carroll. Like, he's not calling the offense. He's not calling the defense. Like, that's kind of one of the only things you have to do during the game, Pete. You couldn't find the challenge flag? That just sums up the whole day for the Seahawks with a pathetic showing, a pathetic showing by Russell Wilson. And I don't want to hear about his finger being hurt because he made a whole show about how he rehabbed for 19 hours a day. And he came out and he stunk and he has not been playing well even before he got hurt, BLG. Something stinks in Seattle. And I don't know if they're going to be able to pull out their usual nine to 10 wins this year. I considered giving an LVP point to my guy, Russell Wilson, um, because even if I do excuse him for the injury, I feel like this is kind of like what I've seen with Carson Wentz before, where he's like, I'm playing no matter what. And even if it's to the detriment of my team, um, because these guys can't think in a way like Carson Wentz and Russell Wilson, maybe in this example, are wired in a way where they think that like if they're not on the field, they are not doing the best thing for the team. Like they think there is zero chance that a healthy backup is better than them, even if they're like playing at yes. like one percent health. Like that's that's just how they think. Um, so I have to give him, you know, I have to ding him for that. Uh, really, you know, bad stuff. This this whole Seahawks season, the vibes are off. I, but like the writing was on the wall. It shouldn't be like a shock. It was known that like this kind of era is coming to an end. I don't know if Pete Carroll will be back. Feels like he shouldn't be. Feels like Russ shouldn't be back. Feels like they should just do a hard reset here after this season. Man, 
Yeah, I mean, Pete Carroll, other than Bill, I think Pete Carroll has the second most wins in his tenure in the league, second only to Bill Belichick. They have won a ton of games there, but you're right. It definitely feels like the end of a chapter, the end of an era. So we'll see what happens with the Seahawks. That's going to do it for this edition of the Off Day Debrief. We remind you again, please rate, review, and follow the SB Nation NFL show. You have heard, if you leave us a review, we will read it on the show. We really do appreciate it. Keep it up. Enjoy your Tuesday, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.